Hey guys, my name is Russ, or Nahum Russell, but nobody can say that, so I became Russ. And this is my friend Terry, Terry Harris of West Tennessee Canine. Hello. And for those of you who haven't watched this show yet, it's a very free-flowing show. We talk about dogs, we talk about anything, it's a lot of fun. Um, but if you do have any questions, comments, or topics that you want us to touch on, just post them up in the comments and we'll be sure to get them as we go. So Terry owns West Tennessee Canine. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your training, where you are, what you do, and all that? Yeah, we're in Memphis, Tennessee. We get dogs from all over, um, have dogs from Ohio, Texas, uh, gosh, all over Florida. Um, but we're located in Memphis, Tennessee. The great part about that is we're kind of centrally located everything. So we have a big circle around us that we draw from. Um, I started out doing mainly uh, protection work, a lot of working dogs. Our company started and then the logo's all, whoops, this, uh, all fancy and um, it looks working-ish because we started out as a private security company with dogs. So hmm. um, it's really hard to make a living doing that. Uh, so I started training uh, pet dogs uh, to supplement my income. Um, and then that just took off. We use a lot of the working dog stuff uh, that I would use for my working dogs. And, and we use it for pet dog training as far as building drive, that type of thing. Um, and get the dogs really working for us. Uh, we do a lot of behavior modification, a lot of just great, easy dogs. Uh, uh, we have a 4,000 square foot training center here in Memphis. Um, and absolutely love it. Cool. So how, I'm, I'm gathering that you've been training dogs for a lot longer than you've been training family dogs, meaning you've been working with dogs for a long time. When did you actually start being a my, dog trainer? My dog first trainer? memory of training a dog was probably when I was about, started about 10 or 11 years old. Uh, uh, we raised and trained hunting dogs, um, lots of hunting dogs. Uh, that's where I, where I started and kind of my working dog background. Um, and then when I was probably 13, 14 years old, maybe, um, I started just grabbing neighborhood dogs where people had problems with them, whether it be aggression, um, didn't think anything of it and just started training, uh, training dogs. Um, so I, pretty much my whole life. Uh, so I'm 40, how old am I now? 48, yes. 48 now. So I've been training Thank dogs since I was probably 12, 13 years old. Cool. So Coming from a working dog background, so for, for those who are watching who don't understand the difference between working dog and pet dog training, you want to touch on that a little bit? Because I think a lot of people here are just regular family pet dogs. And then you say working dog and it's like, what does that mean? Is my dog a working dog? So what is the difference between a working dog and a pet dog? So a working dog means they have a purpose and they earn you something. So hunting dogs, uh, they want to, they want to work our, our hunting dogs were not, were not pets. I mean, they were our, our pets, but they weren't, uh, they weren't in the house. Uh, they had a specific job to do and they were bred to do this thing. Um, with, with our working dogs, personal working dogs, uh, we did private security. So they were, uh, did patrol work, um, detection work, you know, working dog is, is when the dog has, has a job, has a purpose, um, as far as earning you income. They were our, our pets, um, they weren't, uh, they were in the house. There you go. Uh, they had a specific job to do and they were bred to do this thing. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what have you going on here in the background? Uh, we take, there you go. Um, the new laptop, I don't know how to turn the volume down. <laughs> so, uh, 
Yeah, that's the difference between working dogs and, and pet dogs. And, and, you know, when you're dealing with working dogs, working type dogs, and even working breed dogs, uh, the drive to work uh, is is extreme. So the, the, the want to do something uh, is, is on the higher end. Um, mm. And that's what we look for in the, in the working lines. So you were, before working with pet dogs, you were specializing in security dogs. So that would be things like, like bite work and those types of things. Were you hired out by people? Yes. Um, I was the, well, really the only handler. Um, we did protection work. So we trained dogs to be personal protection dogs. Um, but with West Tennessee canine, um, we uh, went to uh, high-risk apartment complexes. We were uh, contracted by them uh, to go in and clean them up, uh, keep people moving. Um, and just people don't like dogs. So we would just kind of descend on there for on the uh, complexes for about three weeks, um, get everybody moving along, uh, work in conjunction with the uh, police department, uh, giving them information on who was doing what, where. Uh, and then once that one kind of got cleaned up, we moved to the next one and we'd start over again. So, yeah. Gotcha. That's cool. That's very cool. I never knew that there was, I, I always thought it was just the police would do that. I never knew that was like a privately contracted business as well. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And the thing about the being privately contracted is that the police can come on the properties um, and keep in mind, these were giant apartment complexes mm -hmm. and, and really bad areas. So the police can come on the properties uh, if they are called for a crime um, or if um, there's suspicion of a crime or they're, um, they see something going on. So they just can't come onto the properties uh, and descend. You know, they can't just patrol the property with a police dog. Um, they don't have the right to do that. But right. since the, the property owners would, would hire us, um, we had the right to enter. We had the right to be on the property. We had uh, permission from them. So we had a lot more rights on the property uh, than the actual police department uh, did. So you were kind of just hanging out there and making a presence, like making it known that you're there for a lot of your Co time. Right? Correct. Okay. Cool. And, the, and, the, and they didn't, I mean, as far as the, uh, the people we worked for, uh, or as far as the, the tenants in, in the property complex, um, they, we, it just said canine unit. It didn't, we, they didn't know who we were, what we were doing. Right. Um, so, uh, just that presence there in the dogs and, and, you know, uh, my patrol dogs are Dobermans and they, they look, uh, rough anyway, um, yeah. look intimidating, and it's just and it's just a presence, it's just a, a visual thing. As far as law enforcement, we had zero authority to do anything. Um, you know, we called the police for that, but it was but it was the presence of, of that of us being there. So when did you make that shift from? Like I know you don't really do much working dog stuff right now. You're primarily a pet dog trainer. When did you make that shift, and what made you decide to make that shift? Uh, it was about five years ago. Um, yeah, right at five years ago and the risk, um, outweighed the reward. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to make a living, uh, doing that, especially solo, uh, without having, uh, a lot of dogs, uh, and they, folks liked the, um, the idea of being on the property with dogs, but they didn't like to pay for it. So it was, it was getting hard, hard to charge for for the uh, danger that you're putting yourself in. And, and uh, you only, you can only be at one property at a time. And so you're very limited on your income and very limited of what you could do. So you mentioned in the beginning that a lot of what you learned or would work with the working dogs in order to train them, you now incorporate into your pet dog training. 
What does right. that look like? How do you incorporate that in? What what have you taken from that world of training, which is a very different style of training than a lot of pet training? What have you taken from that that you now use with pet dogs? Uh, primarily uh, the, the drive stuff. So when I talk about drive, the dog's wantingness and willing to work for you. Now we do get a lot of dogs that are shut down and, and this doesn't work with, um, but for the most part, uh, this, this works. What I want the dog, I want the dog to, uh, let me back up just a little bit. So, uh, you know, with e-collar training, with especially with e-collar training, you can, you're teaching a dog a switch on and off. Mm -hmm. Like this is how you turn this off. And the dog performed for you to turn that pressure off. Um, and so what I do is add motivation, whether it be toy, affection, food. Uh, I pair that with the e-collar and get the dog working for that feeling. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so when you're uh, working recall, working sits and working all that stuff and the e-collars paired with it, um, you can have dogs uh, wanting and willing to perform to, for you and not uh, shut down. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So you're kind of taking that. Well, from my understanding, I never really did much working dogs. My, my extent of working dog training was I, I took a weekend and I went and got a bunch of bites and it was a lot of fun, but I, I never did the training aspect of it. I just did some decoy work. Um, but from what I understand of it is that working dog training, you're building up a lot of drive and doing less shutting off. It's primarily turning the dog on and you're able to use that to bring pet dogs out of their shell and motivate them in a similar way as how you would obviously not to the same extent as a working dog because you don't mm -hmm. want that full on craziness, but you want them to be alive. You want them to be performing because they want to, not just because they have to. Correct. And the thing with, with our dogs we use for uh, security and our personal protection dogs, they had their obedience and ability to be around people had to be top notch. So yeah. it's, it's a little different when you're working uh, with police dogs and things like that. Um, you know, their primary role is to apprehend, uh, to uh, protect the police officer, you know, so there's a lot more grace there as far as accidental bites, all that stuff. We didn't have that grace. So the obedience part of what we did had to be as good as the ability to bite and hold or whatever we were asking to do. So turning the dog off, getting the dog to stop biting or getting the dog to stop going after somebody and abs turn around and come straight back to you was important. And keep in mind when the dogs are working, like there are no prong collars on them. There are no e-collars on them. You know, they're working. So they have to be so good that when you tell them to no, when you say no, they just freeze. And then they, okay, what are you asking me to do then? Um, because a lot of times, you know, something will surprise you and the dog will get set off and you have to shut them down like that. Because if, like I said, if there's an accidental bite, uh, we don't have the grace that uh, law enforcement does. Right. So a common question that I think that I've seen, I haven't been in dog training close to as long as you, but a common question that I see that's discussed is using working dog training for pet dog training, where a lot of people will say, well, the whole idea of working dog training is to teach a dog to turn on. And the idea of pet training is to teach a dog to shut off more, to be more relaxed. And that using pet uh, working dog training can get you the opposite effect of what you want out of pet dog training. Do, do you see that at all? Is that, is that a concern of yours? You know, I really, I really don't see that because the thing is, is you're teaching the dog, you are teaching the dog an on and off switch. But uh, a good example is the way I use the word no. No just means stop what you're doing, but not only stop what you're doing, but 
look at me. So no means no, stop. What are you asking me to do? Instead of just no being a turnoff word, right. no is a very interactive thing. No, dog looks, what are you asking me to do? Down. Um, so I don't think that building the dog's drive up uh, affects that uh, much at all. Uh, and we get, because of what we did in the past, we get a lot of really energetic, drivey dogs. Um, and, you know, we still work a lot of duration work. We still do a lot of things to bring that together. Uh, and I don't think that, that it sends the dogs off, off the charts because it, there, it definitely is, uh, through, repetition, uh, through repetition, a handler-driven um, command. Right. So I like that idea of using no as opposed to no meaning just shut off completely more like no means stop what you're doing and redirect to me so I can give you guidance now as to what you should do next. I think that's a very right. cool, a very cool way of explaining it and a cool way of working it because to many, to many people no just means just stop everything altogether. Right. right? And then you kind of, every time you stop a dog from doing something, it's like a reset. And I, as opposed to what you're doing is like, don't shut off, don't shut down, don't stop being excited to be here or being excited to, to work, but just that specific thing was not what you should be doing, and let me show you a better option instead. It's a very clear way of teaching a dog. It is, and it's not incredibly hard. You know, when you when you start to teach the no command, which is right away, no, and then you give pressure, the dog looks at you, yes, reward. Right, and like, especially- Not that, but this. Okay, what are you asking me to do? You know, we're teaching the dogs how to deal with pressure and the no word has to have a lot of pressure and associated you with no pressure. Nothing else around you needs to matter. Especially the way that, the, just following up on what you're saying, especially the way that you're using the e-collar, which is essentially teaching the dog that you want its attention, right? So that pressure, which if you're using the, the e-collar pressure to match up with the word no, which I'm guessing that's what you meant by pressure, then it's a very easy thing for the dog to hear the word no, feel the pressure and redirect towards you because they're already conditioned to know that that pressure and really any pressure, even if it's least pressure, means that the handler is talking to you. So go look towards them to see what they want. So it's like, no, a little higher level pressure because it's a serious pressure, it's the no, but redirect because you know that no, that pressure means to look at the handler and you'll automatically have a dog who starts to look towards you when he hears that he should stop doing something. Yeah, absolutely. But we, you know, we start everything with the leash. Even the e-collar dogs start out strictly on the leash um, because the leash is that very visual, very physical tie. So when I say no and I give that leash pressure, a little pop, whether it be direct pressure, the dog can turn around, look right up the leash at me, know exactly where things are coming from and know exactly where the reward's going to be. At the end of the leash, there's going to be pressure There's on, on the uh, dog's neck toward me, nothing but reward. Yeah. So a while back on, on your page, I saw a really good post. I don't remember if it was a video or a written post, but you were saying how every dog that comes into your program, even if they've been through other trainers, which you, you get a lot of dogs that have been to other trainers, that the first thing you do is you just put a regular slip lead on them and just make sure that they actually understand what leash pressure means. Because without that simple understanding of leash pressure and how to turn off that leash pressure and how to yield to it, you don't have that foundation for everything else to be built on. I think that's a very important one that a lot of people miss is like the the leash is, is not necessarily a restraining tool, which is the way the average owner uses it. It's a training tool and it's meant to communicate with the dog. And if you don't have that basic level of communication, it's going to be a lot harder to build everything else up that you want to get out of it. Absolutely. And we get a lot of dogs that have been through 
strictly e-collar programs um, that the collar on, they're really good. The collar off, they're horrible. First thing I do, like you said, is I put a, a, just a slip lead on them and, and right out of the gate, I know if they understand if I'm, I'm right out of the gate, I know if they understand or not, if I'm the one uh, giving you information, you pay attention to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, and not teaching you to just turn a collar off. Like it, it, dog training is a very personal thing with people. It's a very, very personal thing with dogs. The dogs need to understand this is where you're going to get your information from me over here, the guy on the end of the leash. Um, and it doesn't matter if you see a remote collar in my hand um, or you feel a prong collar in your neck, just a slip lead or a flat buckle collar. You know, I've only been training with training tools, uh, e-collars and prong collars for about four years. Like even until about uh, probably five years ago when I went to T3, I had no idea there was a positive world and a balanced world. I had zero clue. I was totally just like, what? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, and there are people fighting about this. I don't understand. Um, you know, but before that, it was just uh, slip leads and reward and, and, and punishment. Like you just you did it all through through a leash. Um, so it's, it's very important the dog has that relationship you're building that relationship and you do that through communication with that leash so so i love everything you're saying i have one question on that so when you're sending a dog home who's been trained like the way you're saying right which is that the leash is important and communicating through that and it's not just about the e-collar how do you transfer that to an owner where the owner or do you tell the owner i guess two parts of this question do you tell the owner to always use the e-collar or is it the dog should still listen to you without the e-collar, but the e-collar is a great way of helping with this as well. So this causes me a little more work, but I continue to do it this way because I, at this point in my career and life, I think it's the right thing to do. They have two go-home sessions. In the first one, we don't even get into the e-collar at all. Um, they have some videos on it. Um, some people go home with it. Some people don't. For two weeks, I have them just use the leash. Um, because, and like I said, it causes me more work, but I very rarely get dogs back that are collar-wise. Because when, when you're teaching the, the client pressure through the leash with, with the remote collar, you it's like a remote control. And, and no matter how much you try to explain that away, it's not a remote control. People still think, well, if you're not doing what I'm asking you to do, I just turn it up. Right. Um, and if the dog's not clear on what you're asking it to do, then... What are you really doing? But with that leash, when the people can feel the pressure and they can feel how hard they're having to uh, correct, and if they're having to correct this for the same thing over and over again with that leash, then the dog's probably not understanding what they're asking them to do. And it, and it um, alleviates a lot of that confusion on, on uh, the dog. Because what I found out a, a lot when, when people go home just with the e-collar for the most part, um, they'll either get frustrated and not do it, or it'll just be on the dog when they're bad. And yeah. so for, for two weeks, they go home with just leash and prong. Um, and we do a lot of slip lead work, slip, or dominant dog collar, slip collars, uh, in the go, that go home session too. And so they can feel the difference in the pressures and they can really feel what it's taking for that dog to respond to them, if that makes sense. That's very cool. I, what I like about that is that you're, you're kind of making the owner work for it, which I think that so I've done, in my short span of, of dog training career, I've done one-on-ones and I've also done board and trains. And I think that 
each one has its pros and cons. I think one of the things that are not necessarily so good about board and trains, although we we as trainers can get amazing results, but that the client doesn't see or feel all of the work that went into that necessarily. And when they're not putting in that work, they're not going to necessarily do the same things to keep it up because they don't see, they, they didn't actually not just see it because even if you show it all on social media, right? Like most of us try to show a lot of work, even if you show it, they're not feeling it. They didn't actually put that work into it. Right. But what you're doing is like, you're setting the, the foundation, you're putting in a lot of the work for them. So when the dog goes back home, it's a lot smoother, but then you're still saying, now take the dog home and for two weeks, work it. And like work for that, the results that you really want out of it for two weeks, work for it, and then we'll move you on to that next stage. So that's a very, yeah, yeah I've never heard yeah, of anyone doing that. And the dog knows, I mean, the dog already knows the stuff, so it's not like the dog's going backwards. And it's just that the owner is really starting to understand communication and relationship more than anything. Right. Um, and I was going somewhere with that. And I forgot where it was. It's been a long day. It allows them, well, it allows them to build that relationship that you've built with the dog without relying on anything other than really just relationship and very basic training stuff like a leash although you can do a ton with a leash it's it's a basic thing that technically really anyone can do obviously there's an art to it but it allows them to put that work in and really feel what it is and i think that it makes it more valuable for the owner in the long run like the dog can be just as trained like probably either way but it makes it more valuable for the owner in the long run where they know because they had that two-week period of really rebuilding things and having mm -hmm. to work for it a bit it's like now two months three months four months later they're going to be less likely to just drop it all because they understand what it took to get it because they were a part of that process yeah and you know one of my favorite things to do this is something that really kind of bothered me when i started watching people's social media and watching before and after videos or how-to videos, and then doing go-home sessions. Like at the beginning of every go-home session is a mess. Yes. Like it is. And so I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that mess and I'm gonna use it to work with the, the client. So when I bring the dogs out, um, I bring them out just on a slip lead. And and I, and I work them through and, and, you know, we're in a training environment. They've been there for, you know, one to however many weeks. And so they calm down pretty quickly just with a slip lead. And then we do the greeting and I put the leash in the owner's hands. And what do you think happens? Just a slip lead. Crazy, like, right? The dog goes crazy. The dog's all over them. The dog's jumping on them. And you see their face like, oh, my gosh, I just wasted all this money. Because I want them to, to understand, like the training tools, they get you to the end quicker. Like you, you go from the beginning and you, you do good, you feed the puppy and you teach him to sit. And then the trainer fast forwards you to the end with all the training tools. Like I can make you sit, I can make you down. There's a consequence for it, this and that, but you still have to do the middle. Like you still have to do it, whether you do it in the middle or whether you do it after the dog goes home, you still have to do that work. And when they see that, hey, this dog is cuckoo crazy and jumping on me. And then just with a few little pointers, the dog, winds down it goes back to kind of what you said uh using drive but then how you can just give those corrections and then start adding the tools layering the tools during the uh, go home session and the dog just who comes down um that's when it all starts to come together because when you walk out with a dog and i have it all geared up with a prong collar and e-collar and right before he walks through the door i give it a good level correction and the dog straightens up and i put it on a down it sits there and it's watching them i mean that's not real life that's right. me manipulating the dog to make me look good. 
And right. the goal of this whole thing is not to make me look good. The goal of this whole thing is to make your dog where you can live with them. You know, make your dog where it's a functioning part of society and part of the family and doesn't chase the kids. Know that this dog's been with me a couple of weeks and it's so much better and it understands, but it is the exact same dog that came in uh, in the beginning. And so I really have made a point to start showing how messy the beginning of Golem sessions were and then what they look like 45 minutes later, you know, where the dog's doing yeah. everything they ask. So for, for me, when when I first started, so I started off training in a facility, but then when I started training on my own, I do go-home sessions in the owner's home. Um, and when I first started doing go-homes, I was like, this is horrible. Like, I look so horrible. I can't believe this. Like, And every time I, I remember the same feeling, I would feel so stupid. And obviously, by the time that I left, things were like a lot better and the owners saw the work through. But what I started doing is like similar to what you're saying, but using that as an opportunity to show the owners how powerful their relationship with their dog is. Mm -hmm. Because like what you said, as soon as you hand that leash to the owner, everything changes. And even more so the way I'm doing it, where I'm going into the owner's home, as soon as we get into that home, the dog changes because that's that environment where he's a free for all, right? So he's like, yeah, I'm back home I'm away from that crazy guy. I could do whatever I want again. And it, it really drills home that point. If you address it, it drills home that point to the owners of like how much their relationship with the dog really matters, how much the environment the dog is in matters. And the way that the dog relates to them right now is very different than the way the dog relates to me and that gap. And how then we could start to work on closing that gap once they've actually seen it. Like, like what you said, technically I could walk in the house and pop that leash and correct on the e-collar and the dog is just going to be like, oops, my bad. And he's going to act like, but like, then when I leave, what's going to happen? Then he's going right. to go nuts. And it, it was kind of like a switch went off in my head. It was like, I'm not doing anything wrong at all by the, the fact that the dogs are doing this every time we go back to the house. My training is not the problem. Now it's like, let's use this as actually a solution to show the owners the power that they have and how we can how we can bridge that gap so it's a very powerful thing to see yeah my first three three years of training i did um all the go home sessions in people's houses and it was so so much harder it took so much more time i mean i was easily there three hours yeah you know uh, now we knock it out in about an hour um and then we but we bring them back for that second at least second session but you know the way i look at it even with that is um, if clients are doing the work, then the go home sessions are almost unlimited. Like, you know, if they're working and they're having problems, like you can come back. Yep. Um, and there's still times, you know, that I have to go to the house because there are problems that the dog will not present for me. Um, dog gets back home. It's there for a week, two, three. And all of a sudden these little things start to rise up again. Um, a lot of time, uh, a big one is reactivity in the neighborhood um, because they've done it for so much or for so long uh, and, and done it so much. I mean, there's, there's no way to not go there and, and work them through it. Yeah. It's, it's, again, it, it goes to that point of showing how strong these, um, what would be the word, like the way the dog affiliates with that neighborhood, the way the dog thinks of that neighborhood mm -hmm. and, and it's all these patterns that are drilled into it and where a dog can act perfect with you because it's in this brand new environment and everything it knows about you is completely different than them. And everything it knows about your environment, whether it's my house or your training center, it's all they know about this is this whole new way of life. But for six months, a year, five years, however old this dog is, everything's been completely different in that neighborhood. And it's almost like when they get back home, a switch goes off in their head. It's like, 
reminding them of what it's supposed to be in this area. And right. it, it's a very powerful thing to see. I think that when, when it's addressed, when it's presented to an owner that way, it helps show them how important it is to to change the way the dog thinks of this environment and the way the dog thinks of them. And that like training tools are great and obedience is great. And all of these things that are, are really awesome. It's a very important part of a program. But if you don't change the way the dog thinks of you, if you don't change the way the dog thinks of the environment and if you don't change its lifestyle, then all of that is kind of just like, it's a, it's a bandaid, but it doesn't really change anything. The underlying issue is going to still be there. Yeah, I wish I had time to still do the go home sessions like I used to um, at people's houses because uh, they were so powerful and and you you could walk the neighborhood, you can do all this stuff that's it's you know we're hindered at the training center doing. We can overall help more people, um, and we could because we you know there's no limit on daylight or our times we can be there. Uh, we can do a lot more, but I would say the go home sessions at people's houses uh, overall were were a better experience for the dog or a better, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Um, it was more real. Like when yeah. they're in that training environment, you know, they understand we've been coming to this area doing this thing for however many weeks. Um, so, you know, it gives us home field advantage uh, and that's easily transferable to home, but the, the go home sessions at people's houses, uh, I think were really, really good. I, I do miss that. Yeah, I think that I never, so the facility that I worked out of before I was had was doing my own business, but was not primarily a training center. It was a daycare and a boarding facility and a lot going on there. But I think that a lot of training facilities, and you'll, you'll tell me what you think about this, but I think that one of the, the cons of having a facility as opposed to working out of a house or something like that is that it's a sterile training environment many times. So even though you can replicate a lot of real life, mm -hmm. it's still not the same as being in a home with a family or being in a home when the doorbell rings without you planning it. Or when something goes on that is not planned, it's just part of a regular household environment. It's very different than in a training center where you can't necessarily have that. It's like you can replicate it. You could ring the doorbell and plan it. But there's almost like a different energy that exists around that that doesn't that's different than when the mailman just comes to the door and knocks on the door. Right. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You're you're absolutely right. You know, and it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, where you still have to do the middle. Like you, you know, that's the middle. That's the part where you know even the dog understands that when I ring this doorbell, that sounds just like yours at home. The dog knows to go to place now. At home, you st you're still going to have to have somebody ring the doorbell and do those repetitions. You still have to do the middle. Even though the dog understands what to do, the middle doing, you're not going to be able to leave out doing that middle work. Yeah. That's where that's where what home is, is the middle work. It's pretty amazing how, how the dogs pick up on these habits and that, like, essentially these dogs all come to us already trained. It's just that they're not trained in the way that we want them to be, but right. they're trained by the habits and the patterns of their daily life with, the owners and now it's like we got to repattern them in it's it's a pretty i think it's pretty cool to see that the power of habit when you watch a dog when you watch training yeah you know we video everything at the training center everything's on a recorded loop and we have a dog that doesn't we can't get it out of this behavior it keeps doing this weird thing like cutting in front of you or whatever this little thing is that we just can't seem to to 
get right, um, we go back and watch ourselves training the dogs. And what you will see every time is you're doing something. Every time that dog does that thing, he's associating with something you do. And as much as we try not to uh, pattern ourselves or give the dog anything, like we all do these little things and dogs pick up on those visual cues yep. so fast. And so they know every time that I do this, um, they can cut behind me, you know, and it may be the way I flip the leash. It may be looking over my shoulder, maybe looking back at them, but every time you'll start to put it together, every time I do this, the dog does this. And so even as trainers, you know, we get in our behavior patterns too. And even dogs have been with us a, a, a week, as little as a week, like they pick up on those the first day. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is like, we all, all mammals communicate with our body language, but I think that as humans, we've kind of leaned more towards the verbal communication because it's so easy and we're so used to it that we kind of don't realize how much we're in tune with other people's body language as much, but dogs or, and animals in general, I guess, but dogs is like, because they don't have that verbal communication, their whole communication is just body language. So the second that they see somebody, they meet somebody, that they're engaging with somebody, they're sizing that person up, everything about them. And they're starting to watch right away for like the the different body cues, the way the person's handling things, the way the person's feeling. And from the, before we start even communicating with them, they're already picking up on what we're telling them in a nonverbal way. So those patterns are being created right away. It, like you said, it could be a, a, some thing that we do, a weird way that we walk. That like every time we turn a corner, we do some strange thing with our body that we don't even realize. And nobody realizes, but the dog knows every time that happens. And he's picked up on that from before you've ever even tried to start teaching him something new. You've already been teaching him something new with that body language that he picks up on. Yeah, and we have all the dogs at the training center. We don't keep them put away. They're all in, in kennels facing the training floor so they watch us train dogs all day long and you know dogs are amazing at learning passively so yep. you know those dogs after a little while they start to pick up on all of this stuff um and it's really uh cool but kind of a disadvantage to us if we kept them put away and then brought them out for for sessions uh, you know we would have the advantage but that passive learning um is what changes things yeah and and on that note like what what for owners at home who aren't in a training center but are just with their dogs and just trying to work with their dogs, I think an important thing for, for people to notice is that passive training, meaning like it's you can set aside 15, 20 minutes a day. Feeding time is a great time. I always tell people to train by feeding time to do that active training where you teach dogs new things and you teach dogs commands and all that. But then the rest of the day, the dog is being passively trained still. And that's what it's important is to really notice what you're teaching the dog during that, when you're not doing that 20 minutes a day, like what's actually, what the dog is learning during that is so important. And like, like what you said in the training center and same thing at home, it can be used to the owner's advantage or it can work against the owner, depending on what patterns the dog is picking up on from the owner or from you guys, the trainers in the center. Yeah, and even in like your house, your personal dogs, like they cue off things you do, my personal yep. dogs. Like they're quiet in the mornings until they hear me open a certain drawer to get the things out of my wallet out and stuff. And, and I don't even get the keys out. They just, as soon as they hear me open that drawer, they start whining because they usually go with me every day, you know? Yep. And so those little things that we do, and, and I don't care how much you try, it's impossible to do things in your home where dogs don't catch on. Mm -hmm. Like you would have to change your routine every day. And <laughs> yeah. it's so patterned and routine that dogs pick up on that. And, and we have to 
uh, here we have uh, five dogs and we have to kind of change some of the routines, like their feeding routines and uh, different things and where we feed them. Because if not, you know, they know about feeding time and they're all there and it's, and it's just too much going on. So we, we change things up pretty regularly. So they're kind of always guessing on certain things. The last thing you want is a small house with a bunch of dogs and, and they're all like, okay, let's eat. Yeah. Like everybody loses their mind. Every time I put on my shoes, my Marley, my Roddy, he's, he could be sound asleep. I pick up my shoes to put them on and he gets up and starts stretching that he's getting ready to go. Yeah, yeah. No matter what I do about it, he's, he knows like he could be, I could do it right now. He's, he's sound asleep. I can put on my shoes, start to tie it. And he'll be right next to me stretching with his neck out, ready to go that we're going out somewhere. And like you said, like, I can't change that. I have to put my shoes on either way. Right. I have to put my shoes on. He knows that's the pattern. That's the routine. And it's like, he's just picked up on it. It's, it's interesting just to, even if you're not trying to change it, because like, I don't really care that he does that. I think it's kind of cute. But even if you're not trying to change it, just to notice those things shows the power of habit so that if you do want to change your dog's behavior through habit, you can see how powerful it is and start to, like what you said, to rewatch those videos that you have at the center. It's We don't necessarily have videos going in the house all day, but to watch carefully what what reaction your dog has to what behavior that you do so that you can start to tweak that. Yeah, and it's amazing. Like when, when something happens, a dog uh, reacts to another dog or a trainer or tries to bite you or uh, whatever else. It's really cool to watch those videos back. And especially if it's a, if it's a, a dog that comes after a trainer. Um, and every time you will see what the trainer was doing, whether it was too much leash pressure or or what it was. So you think the cameras are going in to watch people, but they're really to say, okay, how can we prevent this thing from happening and yeah. happening again? But every time you watch it back, you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I've been training right. dogs for a long time and I did that thing. But it's able, you're able to, I would say probably one of the most valuable things trainers can do. Um, and even owners, I tell them, video yourself just around your dog. You can get, uh, Amazon has a couple of really decent $49 cameras. Uh, you can put a little card in there. And if your dog keeps doing the same thing in the house, just set it up in a room and forget about it. And then go back and watch what happened just before your All right, guys. Hopefully Terry will be back in a minute. We're trying to set it up. So Megan, you got one of those Katie's buckles. I'm really excited that, that you got it and you liked it and that I'm happy I posted that video about it because a bunch of people apparently didn't know about that product and got them been using them. So I'm happy you got it. Hey, Dan. Guys, don't leave us. Hopefully Terry will be back in momentarily. We're trying to fix this. Um, let's see if we can make it work. Hopefully. It's always exciting. Um, <clears throat> love them. Yeah, I love them too. I don't use them on my dogs, but I use them for all my clients' dogs. I have a ton of them. That's all Katie's Buckles right there. Shout out Katie's Buckles on Instagram. Guys, if you want an awesome product, for any of you who are think, wondering what I'm talking about, why not? I'll show you guys what it is right now. Do I have one already made? No, but I'll show you guys quickly. So Katie's Buckles is a product on Instagram and the way it works is it attaches to Oh, I think I think I think we got Terry back. Wish we had a bunny. We got Terry back. Hey. 
I don't know what happened. Yay. So exciting. Glad I didn't All right, guys. Awesome Terry's back. I told Hey. Awesome. Uh, Dan, you got one of these? Terry, have you seen these? We're, we're chatting here about Katie's buckles. Have you seen these? I you have not. I get something similar from Palmart, but they're getting harder and harder to get. Yeah, so Mama Bear, go back to your place, girl. So the problem with the Palmark ones that I didn't like about them was that, that you have the ones with the leather on it. Yeah, you lose so much of the middle. Yeah. yeah. So this one, I'm just talking about it now because Megan in the comments was saying how she got one. I'll show you how this one works quickly. Then we can go back to chatting. One second. Yeah, because I get a lot of clients that have a hard time with them. Uh, we do yeah, a lot of stuff. I got it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna open a prong collar so you can see how it how it attaches. We do a lot of stuff with seniors and and they they can't get them on and off. Yeah, so I had a bunch of people with like arthritis and things like that, and they were having such a hard time with it. So here, look, this is very cool. The way it works is you take out the metal plate. Mm -hmm. This is for the 2.25. The three millimeters slightly different, but I don't really use bigger collars than 2.25. And then where the metal plate was, you just slide it right into those two holes. Nice. And now you don't lose any space really. Maybe at the most you lose one prong, like one link worth. Okay. That's it. And it makes it so easy. And the wow. company that designed these buckles for her is the same company that designed the buckles for e-collar technologies. Oh, nice. So they're extremely durable. They're very strong. They've been tested on a bunch. So it's an awesome product. I'm just, I love yeah, it. And with the other ones, that leather, eventually, especially if you have your dog out in the elements, um, it really starts to wear and dry yeah. out. And yeah. eventually it fails. So I, I've been using these with all my clients. I just send every dog home with one of these instead of the regular. And everybody loves it. It's made life so much easier. So. Yeah, we were just discussing it, it when you disappeared because I, I posted a video about it on my page a little while ago so that people should know that a product like that exists. Mm -hmm. And so Megan got one and she was saying how she loved it. It's awesome. If you're interested, I can send you the link to it. She's really Definitely. cool. So anyways, what were we chatting about? We were talking about the power of habits and creating habits and changing habits and all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, the things we do and video, you know, watch. Oh yeah, we're talking about uh, uh, people getting video cameras in their home and watching what happens just before their dog went crazy or does this behavior. Yeah. And, and you'll start to notice a pattern of events, usually things you're doing um, that lead up to that naughty behavior. Yeah. So there's like, how often do we hear from owners, whether it's online or in person, the dog just bit out of the blue, right? Right. right? right. And it's like, always like, no, it, it wasn't out of the blue. Like it looked like that to you because you weren't watching carefully. You weren't noticing, you weren't in that mind, like state of mind to think about what was happening right before. But a dog that bites out of the blue or does any like bad behavior like that out of the blue is so rare. It's, it's extremely rare to have a dog like that. Do they exist? Yeah, sure. But they're, they're not the common dog. It's not the ones that are the owners are dealing with on a regular basis. Yeah. It's, every time that I've been bitten in, in a training situation, um, it was my fault. Yeah. A hundred percent. Every time I was, you know, it was, I let my guard down. I put too much pressure on the dog, you know, didn't have, uh, you know, good control of the dog, uh, pushed the dog too hard. Um, dog didn't understand what I was asking. Uh, just uh, every, every time it's been something that I've done. I don't know if you, if you watch the, um, when Megan was on with 
one was was on with me here when we were chatting but she said a story about working with a sea lion and uh -huh. my sea lion right yeah and and she was saying the lesson that she learned from it was that it was her fault it was her she took that responsibility on her not the animal because she didn't communicate well and in this situation like the way we're discussing it's a similar idea but it's that not watching for those signs not seeing what's happening not seeing those small changes before the bad behavior happens that instigated that and essentially the end of the day i think no bad behaviors that a dog does is the dog's fault right it's, there's always a human involved because a dog that's just living with other dogs like in the wild somewhere that bites another dog is not necessarily a bad dog they're just communicating right, right. they're just they're just dealing with things like how dogs deal with things but as soon as the humans come into play now it's all our fault now it's all our responsibility and we have to be the ones watching that carefully so that we can know what to do to prevent it by seeing what causes it yeah and you know there's a reason that we're uh legally responsible for our own children until they're 18. like everything they do is our fault like whether yep. we were there whether they knew better like it's mom and dad's fault it's just the way it is you have to take that responsibility on yourself yeah absolutely so what what's your favorite part about working with i guess being a dog trainer but essentially now my question is more about like to you specifically what do you like more or do you like working with family pets more than your own more than your old thing of working with security dogs so the thing with working dogs is kind of the washout rate uh, you put a lot a lot of time into a dog and then sometimes it just gets to the point where it stops performing um, or you'll get a good prospect and, and you think this dog is going to be the, the, you know, the new Oreo cookie to dogs. It's going to be like the dog. Um, yeah. and it's just not also with client dogs, you know, folks will get a Malinois or a Dutch Shepherd or a German Shepherd or a Roddy and then they'll want to do bite work and the dog, you know, um, doesn't have what it takes. And yeah, people, people don't, don't like to hear that. Yeah, it's, you know, dogs don't naturally want to bite humans. You know, very few dogs naturally want to bite humans. Um, you're teaching them bite as a command, just like sit or down. Um, so it's, there's a lot of frustration in that. And as far as working with the public in that, um, with, with pet dogs, there's not as much disappointment. Um, I would say the only disappointment with pet dogs is dogs that you put a lot of time into and you have hope for, and they just, you know, they, they just don't make it. Um, yeah. You know, they, they end up being rehomed or occasionally put down if it's an aggression case or reactivity case. Um, but, but in the working dog world, you know, I, I don't miss that part of it where you go through just so many dogs trying to find just the few that fit that niche. And, and what would you say is your favorite part about being a family pet dog trainer now? Uh, working with the clients. Like, you, you know, you're, you're training people to train dogs every single day. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say the go-home sessions are probably my favorite thing. That and doing social media stuff and putting out videos and how-tos and uh, making something that seems to be very complicated is made to seem complicated easy. Um, you know, clients don't really care like all of the why a dog's doing these things client could care less the dog the client just wants to know how do i make my dog stop this how right. do i make my dog do this and, and that's it and, and saying okay this is how you do that uh you know every 
every training session. And I'll, I'll say another thing I like about uh, pet dog training is um, having to problem solve on the fly. It's my favorite thing. It's when we're in a go home session, we're doing something, dog does something weird, owner's like awkward with it and, and too much leash pressure or keeps spinning around, whatever it is, or just has no rhythm or can't follow instructions and you, you're having to you know break it down to little micro steps and problem solve on the fly i think that's probably my favorite thing to do yeah after every go home session i feel like i've become a better trainer yeah you, you know after go home sessions is when i write i write things for my next post because yeah. that's when all the good stuff comes out yeah somebody asked me when i feel most inspired to write and I was saying the same thing after working with a client, not working with a dog. Like I can write after working with a dog and I, I love writing. So I write all the time. But when like my best posts, the ones that owners have related to the most always come after a discussion with an owner or working with an owner by a go home session, because it's like you've, even though we explain things every single day and we're usually explaining the same things every day, right? There's not, there's not that much to this, right? At the end of the day, it's like when you know how to train a dog, you can train a dog and you understand how to problem solve and keep working through things. And essentially most of the things that you work with that I work are, are usually the same type of stuff on a daily basis, just with a different dog and a different owner. But teaching that to the owner is going to be different every single time because it's a different person. And I think I become a better teacher every time I have to figure out a new way of explaining it, a new way of teaching it. And when I see it click with the owner, it's like, okay, that idea, that way of teaching that idea worked for that owner. I'm sure it can work for somebody else. Let me try to make that into something to share with everyone else. Yeah. And that's been a, a, a real struggle to always keep moving with that, you know, uh, training dogs for so long, like you just know how to train dogs. I've, you know, worked with other animals and I've always just been good at it. Um, but when you have to break that down for somebody who doesn't give a crap about dog training, they don't care about behavior, they don't care what's causing it, they don't care about pattern, they just, how do I stop this? Or how do I make this happen? Um, and explaining that to them, when you just look at the dog and know, and sometimes you don't really know how you know, yeah. um, but you have to think about, okay, why do I know this? And what am I picking up on? And how do I translate that um, very easily to the client where they retain it. And that's another thing is retention. Uh, just because you say it at a go home session doesn't mean that they're going to retain it. But when you put that leash in their hand and you're explaining it to them and you're showing them and they're feeling it, then they retain it. So trying to, to bring all that together and, and also not rushing in and just taking the leash and, and letting them work through it, trying to talk them through it. Um, you know, it has been probably the most challenging part of, of training um, because that's where it all matters. Right. And with, with working dogs, you're probably primarily working with the dogs and less with humans. Now it's like, yeah, you train dogs, but you're, you're a teacher. You're teaching people on a daily basis just as much, if not more, than you're working with dogs. Yeah. And there's, you know, with working dogs, there's a lot, lot of handler work, but the dog is pretty good before that comes into play. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there is handler training, but, but, you know, the dogs that are working are, are bred and, uh, condition to do that it's, it's in their dna uh, so you have a little bit of, a, of an advantage with those dogs like the dogs with pet dog training like who knows what's in their dna 
Right. Especially now with all the designer mixed breeds, like yeah. who knows with this Labradoodle, if you have more Lab or more Doodle, or if you have the smart end of it or the dumb end of it, like, you know, right. you don't know. And so you just have to take what's in front of you and make the absolute best of it and communicate that to the client. Yeah. Then with, with pet dogs, we have that whole other dynamic of the emotions that come into play, right? With, mm. with working dogs, again, You'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'd imagine it's pretty straightforward. It's not it's not as much like there's not as much emotion attached to it because this is a working dog. He has to do a job. His people, people's lives depend on his on his job many times. Like it's a serious matter with less emotion attached to it as opposed yeah. to family dogs where it's like everything is emotion. This is our baby. This is our family. Like he's not just a dog. He's our family member. And there's that whole other dynamic that comes into play that changes everything with the teaching aspect, with the training aspect, with everything about it. Yeah, I would say the emotional tie is different. There's a, a, a huge emotional tie to working dogs too, because I mean, you're with that dog, you know, Rambler, my male doberman, he is probably the best dog I've ever had. When I walk in, he greets me at the door and he goes and lays down. That's, his, that's what he does until I call him out. Like, but I've yeah. spent, you know, 50 hours a week with him for several years, like just him and me, and that's on top of training. You know, so I think the emotional tie to the dog is still extreme, but it's 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 a different type of thing. Like you are depending on that animal to keep you safe, um, you know, and, and that that makes a, a, a huge difference in, in the way you relate to that. It's a different relationship. It's still an extremely strong emotional bond, but it, it's just it's just different where pet dogs, you know, it's it's a happy make me happy type of thing, you know, okay. like, oh, make me happy. Um, and so the emotion tied to that is different, right? You know, that's, if, that's if, if I say you want to go to work or, uh, or he sees the vest or if I even grab a handgun and stick in there, as soon as he sees that his chest goes out and he's like, where are we going? Like his whole personality changes. I'm in work mode. So the difference in the emotional tie is I think the thing, the type of emotional tie, yeah, I don't think it's any less with working dogs. Um, you know, as far as training them, you're not as attached to them as you're training but as far as handler i just think it's a it's just very strong emotional side because you have to understand the dog you're not going to be a handler very long i guess the the emotional difference between the two is that when it comes to a family dog i don't know how to put it into words but maybe it would be like a softer emotion more of like yeah. they're there for your support they're right. there for your they're for you to it's all at least your all of your life's worries on their soul you know right. <laughs> they're, they're there for you to pet them when when you feel the need um uh they're there for you to uh make yourself feel good about their tail wagging like you know the dog gets all worked up and now i feel good about myself because yeah. hey my dog likes me nobody else likes me well your dog only likes you because you feed it yeah stop feeding your dog it'll like somebody else i just like whoever's feeding it next about a week ago, I met with a, a family and a dog, and we we met up in a park to do a one-on-one, -on -one, even though I don't usually do one-on-ones, but because of like everything going on, right. they needed the help right away. So I was like, we're going to meet up at a park. We can keep our distance, and I can still work the dog and help you guys get started. So, And this dog was was out of control, biting everybody in the family, bit one of the, the family members while I was right there. Like I, It was a lot going on. And... I kept on trying to explain to them, like having to show them the severity of the situation because there was so much of that mushy emotion involved that even when they were getting bit, there was that, but he's still our baby and he's still, 
and like he's we can't do this to him we can't do that to him we don't want to be mean and i had to really break it down for them that like at the end of the day you're calling this dog your baby until his his meanness for lack of a better term like his nastiness towards you gets so strong that you don't care anymore about that and then he's not going to be yours anymore and right. There's that new baby. Yeah, people get blinded by it. So and and one of the kids and they were they were asking really good questions. So I was enjoying the conversation a lot because they wanted to understand the why, like which a lot of owners don't care, but they wanted to understand why to do what I was telling them to do, why it would work. So one I was telling them like like cut down on your on your affection right now and things like that that are not helping, they're not serving anything here. So the the Eight, uh, eighth grader in the family, I guess he's 13 years old, he said, well, that sounds very cold-hearted, right? And I explained to them this whole, this whole, like what I was saying, that eventually it's not going to be their dog. But what it made me realize very strongly is how blinded people can get by their emotions to the fact where they're physically getting hurt, but they're blinded by the emotional mushiness of it all, the feel-good aspect, because every dog that bites their owners also has a side that's really loving and sweet. Right. And we see that all the time. And that side blinds that was blinding them so much to the, the severity of the situation where they weren't realizing what was even going on with the band-aids on their hand and everything. Right. It didn't matter because this dog was still making them feel good during the rest of the day when it wasn't biting them. There's yeah. that. And I try to take it back to human. Okay. Uh, so, like we don't really know what dogs are thinking. We're making our best guess best based on research. Like we really don't know what's in their brain and we don't know really how they see things. We just, you know, are based doing it all based on, on animal studies and things we found that worked. But, you know, even in human relationships and we can all relate to this, you've seen people in abusive relationships that stay around forever because yeah. like the, the abuse is this much, but the rest of it is good. But the, it, it, and they get hurt and all this stuff, and it takes something extreme to bring them out of it. Um, it it's the same thing with, with dogs, except dogs can't communicate, and they're fluffy, and they're soft, and most of the time those dogs are good until they're not. You know, um, So humans are exact, human emotion to each other or relation to each other is, is the same exact thing. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The, as trainers, most of us all say not to humanize dogs. But then on the other end of it is like there's so many things that are the same when it boils down to like the basics of it. Yeah, like obviously we have a more emotional intelligence and we, we take things to a different level. But when it boils down to the very basics of what's going on relationship wise and all of that, it's it works the same exact way. And you could try to not humanize it as much as you want but at the end of the day it's it works best when it's humanized just humanized properly yeah you have to people have to be able to associate it with something you know every everything a dog does is through association and most of the stuff humans do is through a, some type of association too you go to a bad restaurant and you get or a good restaurant and you get sick from a certain meal you likely don't get that meal because now you associate that meal and that place with being sick and yep. so um if you can, if you can help people understand by saying, okay, do you know, um, have you ever had an addict in your family? And, and no matter how much you help, they keep going back to the same thing until you say, Hey, that's enough. We're not giving you any money. We're not giving you any affection. You can have a place to stay, but these are the rules. Like that's your dog. 
That's what your yeah. dog is doing to you. You know that family member because everybody's had somebody in their family or somebody knows been through that. And oh yeah, I know. So you're doing the same thing with your dog. You're you're an enabler, and they're like, oh, I understand now. So you have to associate it uh, with something that people can relate to. Yeah, and getting. As trainers, I think that the best way that I found for myself to, to do that, because like what we were saying a little bit earlier is that now everybody, we have to find new ways of explaining the same ideas over and over to different people. What I found helps with that a lot is to get to know the client a little bit outside of their relationship with their dog. Right. Like, what is life like for them besides their dog? You know, what is the family dynamic like? What do they do for a living? And if you get like those small clues, just a little bit, you don't need to like delve deep into it. Just having a basic conversation, getting to know somebody, you can right away find a way that's going to easily relate to them on a personal level about what's going on with their dog. Because like if if, if I tell somebody who never experienced, let's say the addiction thing, like what you were saying, they never experienced it. They never knew anyone, you know, they come from a good straight family and everything is great. That idea might not work. But if I right. find something that works directly to them in a personal level, that's when it clicks the most because it, it almost like triggers an emotion. And when you trigger that emotion, it makes it click for them. That's really what, what I found works the best is finding a personal way of making it click for them by getting to know them a little bit outside of their relationship with their dog. Yeah, I think you're right. I just did redid all my training stuff and on the new training uh, form and, and contract, it has a lot of those questions. What do you do? Because I would find myself asking people, you know, at the go home session. So what do you do for a living? And it, and it feels like you're prying, but right. I'm trying to relate it to something. Like you said that you do, if you can find that one thing that you can relate it to, like you said, they're, they, they buy in. They're like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, it's making it personal as opposed to just some abstract idea that's supposed to be one size fits all. Now it's like, no, this is directly for you. Right. That's yeah. Perfect. So you've been working with pet dogs for five five years, right? Yeah. Right. So for after five years of working with pet dogs, and then a lot of years before that working with dogs in general, what would be one thing that you wished every dog owner knew if, when they had a dog? Wow. You should ask me this beforehand so I could prepare. Yeah, that's the idea. I want to know there's what you, a, not what you. There, there's a lot. Um, gosh, I might defer to Olivia to help me with this one. Yeah, come on, Olivia. What is one thing? I. She don't know. She's deferring there's, to. There's me. lots of things. So one thing. Ask me the question again. What's one thing that you wish every dog owner knew? That if you could like broadcast this everywhere and every dog owner would know that, what would it be? Uh, I would say the power of boundaries yeah like ha having solid solid boundaries you know going back to the human relation thing like hopefully you don't see somebody in the park especially now um you don't see someone in the park and you give each other the eye like oh they're hot oh they're hot and then you run and embrace and start making out or in right. church or wherever you know it's like you have you have boundaries even in my marriage we we took a long time to build this relationship and there's still like boundaries there's like you know I don't get affection when I'm mean to her. And she doesn't get affection when she's mean to me. It's just I'm the, never mean. you're always mean to me. You're not. Um, but, uh, you know, boundaries, like setting those boundaries right away. Yeah, that's such a powerful one. And that from I like that answer a lot because what I see the average owner that I work with, and I haven't worked with close to as many dogs and owners as you have yet, but what I've seen time and time again is that people, 
wait for to put up those boundaries once it's a little bit too late, once the dog has already crossed them so far, right? Right. As opposed to the whole idea of boundaries, if you think about it in like a physical sense, why do you have a fence on a, on a roof? Not because you're scared that like, not because somebody already fell. You don't put the fence up once somebody's falling. You put that fence up beforehand, and that's a boundary to prevent it. And then you see that fence, and you know I'm not even going to lean over the edge because I see the fence there. I know that's that's the boundary I don't cross because the other side I'm going down. Right. But if you put, up, you put up a fence once somebody's already jumped off the roof, you're not saving their life. It's too late, right? right? And I think so many owners wait to put up that fence, that boundary, once the dog is kind of on the other side and now like we can still help it, but now you're going back so much more. And I think that's such a, such a powerful one of knowing the, how important boundaries are would really change every, we'd probably see a lot less dogs as dog trainers if people actually understood boundaries. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the goal of social media. I talk yeah. about boundaries and rules, excuse me, so, so much because that is the key. Um, having those things you're, you're putting in place to uh, from the beginning to guide the dog in the direction you want him to go instead of coming in later on. Now you're having to like hold the dog down and say, no, you're going this way. And it's more of a, a forced act. Yeah. And, and if those, the way that I always explain it in terms of like a new dog, whether it's a puppy or an adult is like, if you have a toddler, right. And you're teaching them about safety, like any good mom or good dad, they're going to put up, some sort of boundary for example those outlet protection thingies right i don't know what to call them but you're going to put those in there but you're not going to leave that as the rest of the person's life like this kid is 20 years old and he still only doesn't play with outlets because those things are in you're going to put that in as a boundary to protect him at the same time teach that kid that we don't play with outlets because it's dangerous and you need both you need that teaching the dog how to make good decisions but also knowing that because this dog is never going to become a 20 year old that goes to college and leaves the house and becomes its own person there is always going to be a level of keeping those outlet things in of making sure that dog knows there's boundaries that are meant to be kept to because there's only so far you're going to get when it comes to educating a dog as opposed to educating your toddler and having them grow up to be an adult yeah, that safety net, you know, no matter how good my dogs are, if we didn't have a fenced yard, like eventually they would wander to the neighbor's yard. Right. Absolutely. Like dogs, like they're, they're curious. They're like, oh, what's this over here? It may not be today, may not be next month, but, you know, there's going to be something over there that's uh, worth it to them. Yep. And that's that that's that physical boundary that you're putting. They can clearly see it. And right. boundaries. I, w- I, want, I want you to touch on a little bit when you said setting boundaries. So. For somebody, let's say somebody's just tuning in who doesn't know what that means to them. Like, does that mean setting up a fence? What is a bound? What does that boundaries look like? It could be. So it could be a, a anything. So boundaries are rules. Boundaries are things to to give your dog a clue as to what's going on. Um, boundaries are uh, uh, don't bite my hand. There's a consequence. There's there's a boundary. There are clear things around me. Uh, we use a physical boundary that we use a lot in training. So we use a lot of visual things mm-hmm. in in, uh, in training, um, and we'll take a long lead and make an arc in front of a couch, and that's a boundary. Like you just don't cross it. You know, you teach the dog dog to wait. 
uh, personal space is a huge boundary. You just can't come uh, and get affection anytime you want. You know, with five dogs in our house, if, if they come to all get affection at one time, like there's not enough air in the room for all of us. Like they suck it all out of the room. Um, so it's just keeping those rules in place, not rushing out the door. Boundaries are nothing, nothing but rules. Um, yeah. When we get new dogs and we get, uh, pu especially puppies, you know, the first thing you want to do is hold them and let them fall asleep on our lap. And right from the beginning, that is like violating boundaries. Um, you can turn them into a couch dog later, but, but breaking that uh, chain of behaviors is extremely hard. So it's better in the beginning, right from day one to say, okay, you're going to sleep in your crate. Um, because the only reason we're, we're allowing those, those rules and boundaries come down is because it makes us feel better. You know, um, same with human relationships. If we let our boundaries down in relationships and let somebody in, it, it's usually because we need something, not because there's value there. Um, it's because we're selfishly needing something from that person and uh, we just accept them really quickly. And so having that personal space, uh, that arm's length with dogs uh, in the beginning, especially in the beginning, is is important if, if you want to let those boundaries down just like you do in human relationships as the dog gets older and you become more comfortable with things then by all means do that but in the beginning have those rules in place my house my rules my life my rules my space my rules yeah and one one of the and things that you said that I, I i like a lot is if you want to like what we usually do is let those boundaries down too early like that puppy coming home and falling asleep on our lap and what I find a lot of owners struggle with, like one that I see is very common is, I don't want my dog to jump on people, but I love when it gives me hugs, right? right? And it's like, well, to the dog, it's all the same. So first set that boundary and then let it know when it can cross that boundary with permission. Right. But if there is no boundary in the first place, he's never gonna ask for that permission to cross it. There's, he's not crossing a boundary if the boundary hasn't been set, right? If there is no property line, you're not going to someone else's property. It's just land. So to the dog, it's all just like, there's just all this stuff and it's your job to slowly separate it and then give the dog that permission of when it can cross over and when it can't only once you've actually set up that boundary in a real way that it understands it. Until then, it's all just, it's all the same to the dog. He's just being a dog. Yeah, once you allow that dog to do something over and over again, now it's just, a normal part Ooh. of their day. Yep. That becomes, like, you know, it's just, it's just what I do. Why does my dog jump on me every time I come in? Because it's jumped on you from the time you've gotten the dog. Very rarely the training center, even new dogs, do they jump on me. Right. Like, very rarely. I don't care. Our dog's here for jumping. Very rarely do they jump on me. Cause I don't, I don't allow that. I don't allow that them to get in that space. And I usually meet them. If they're coming toward me, I, and they're like, Whoa, nobody's ever done that before. Right. And then I don't give them anything. I don't say a word to them. I don't touch them. And if they jump on me once, they don't do it again because I, I give them nothing of value in return. Right. And from from the moment that you come into their life, there are boundaries. And that relationship right. is built with those boundaries. So the dog, it's not even like he feels like he can't jump on you. It's that like he knows that's not part of the relationship with you. That's just not how you guys got to know each other. So it wouldn't even make sense to do. Right. And that's why trainers can uh, take dogs through training so fast, because as soon as they walk into our place, Slippery goes on. They're taken right from the owner, put into a let out run, go to the bathroom, come in, kennel, start training. Right. Like and they don't know the di any difference. They're not upset. They're not sad. They're not having withdrawals. They're like, we're doing this. They And they adapt probably within six hours. Yeah. You know, because... By the second or third session, their days get out and they're like, OK, ready to go. 
Um, there are a few exceptions, but not many. And and but but the great part about that is we can get dogs through this process a lot faster um, than going to the house every day and and then going uh, at hour here or actually 15 minutes of dog training 45 minutes of of human interaction and then see you next week but that's why with board and trained stuff um, and why i love it so much is we can take that dog through structure and boundaries to a new place so fast um, that it's amazing yeah we we cut down on because we're building a new relationship with the dog essentially no matter how much dog trainers want to say that they're just training not having a relationship but we are we're building a relationship with that dog, but it's all based on these boundaries that are there. It's like we cut we cut away all of that time that it would take for the owner to start redoing things and putting those boundaries up and having the dog fight against them because it's not used to it. It's just this is how it is from now on because I'm a new person and this is how I do things. It's a it's a very different dynamic than when like back to what I was saying, the pros and cons of one on ones versus boarding trains is that you don't get that in a one on one. Right. And, and, you know, the key word you just said was building a relationship. And that's something that's left out of a lot of programs, especially larger programs, is we still like that dog. And it goes back to the working dogs and building drive. Like we have to have some type of working relationship with that dog. It's just different. Now, as the dog earns my respect, the dog's doing what it's asked to do. And it happens very quickly. Like we have playtime, we play tug and we throw the ball. But you have to earn all of that, you know. Um, we have free play time. We have social time. So the, all of that is is building into the relationship that we're having with the dog. So the the training aspect and and sit, teaching dogs to sit and heal and all that stuff is is you know probably two thirds of training. But the final third, or, or the gosh, the beginning third, uh, or yeah, the beginning, middle, end, all of it. Um, uh, just about a third of the training is is building that relationship with a dog. Uh, when we get fearful dogs in or even aggressive dogs, a lot of what we're doing is just I'm hanging out with a dog, yeah. teaching the dog a little bit of pressure, like just a little bit. And even if I give pressure and the dog looks at me, that leash pressure goes away. Like just acknowledge me is all I'm asking. And so all I'm doing, you can't rush those dogs through. Like all I'm doing in the beginning, especially with fearful dogs, it's just starting to build that relationship, build that trust. Uh, uh, and, and it's a super important part that's left out of a lot of, of dog training and a, and a lot of, especially on social, you don't see much about relationships. It's all A, B, C, D. This is what you do to get this dog to do this. And, and, and if you don't have a relationship with the dog, it's so, so much harder. Yeah. When I first started training on day one, I would put a prong collar and an e-collar on the dog right away, right into it. Hendrix, you got to go place, bud. Go. And... <laughs> On day one, I would put a prong collar, put an e-collar on the dog, and that was it. Start introducing him to the tools right away. And I got results, obviously, but it wasn't it, it wasn't the same as what – and it didn't last in the way I wanted it to for the owners once they went back home because, of like, a lot of what you were discussing of relying on the e-collar too much and using it like a remote control and all of that aspect to it where – what I started to do is I shifted the way I did everything. Now when a dog comes in, I usually don't put a prong collar on them till like day four or five, maybe, sometimes longer. And the first day that they're with me, we don't work. We hang out. Like, it's very – and I don't mean like we're playing and the dog is jumping with me and like we're hanging out. No, it's like if I'm sitting here on the computer, I have the dog with me, and all I do is with least pressure, every time he pulls away from me, 
I bring him back to me, right? Right. And we simply just start to do those small things, basically changing the way the dog lives from day one. Because right. I think that most of the behavioral issues didn't stem from not knowing how to sit or not knowing how to go to place, right? And most of the behavioral issues came from not knowing how to live and not knowing how to just chill. And when you start to change that part about a dog and then bring in the commands and then bring in the tools, it's all so much more powerful. Like now the dog's mind knows how to just exist, just be, just live. And then you add in everything else to it as to complete the picture. It's it's a much more full picture for the dog than just saying, here's some five commands that you got to do whenever you're told to do them and that's it. It's like, but what do you do in between that? And I find that if, if I teach the in between that, part right away and start to introduce that as this is just how you live now it, it everything else kind of fits together so much better the puzzle works so much better yeah i think we don't we don't get into i don't even start saying the word really heal or sit probably until day four or five and and, and i use sit because every dog pretty much knows how to sit so it's a good layering mm -hmm. uh, place uh, to build on but it's just, it's the same thing like the, when the dogs go home, they need to be good when they're not doing anything. That's kind of the point. Uh, most dogs that come to us know how to sit and lay down. Like they do. Uh, and, and so what you're doing, just building that relationship and you're teaching the dog uh, pressure. You know, the thing with working dogs that can relate to is I want my dogs. I'm the center, excuse me, spit on myself. I'm the center, center of their world. Yeah. I want them to look at me for absolutely everything. You know, we can be in a crowd of people. We can be in a uh, dog cart full of dogs, and my dogs will not stop looking at me. You know, no matter what we do, if I move, they move. I stop, they stop. Now, they go dogs, but if they look at them and don't see me, they're trying to find me. Like, okay, where is he at? And that's what we're doing with the pet dogs. Like, everything you need in this place, rely on me, and I will guide you through this, and everything will be great. Don't don't look to me, and everything out here is going to be pressure. It's going to you. You have to move toward me to to be in the place of one hundred percent grace in your life. It needs to be me, not yep. not my treats, um, but me as a person. I move, you move. I stop, you stop. Um, we go through the whole heal process without saying a word. Like we're just using leash pressure and positioning. You know, I want the dog. The dog's smart enough to look at me and know when I stop. If you keep going, there's going to be pressure. You're too far back. There's going to be pressure. You don't have to say a thing. Then once the dog starts following you around, just call it heel. Like, and the dog already knows how to do that. Um, so I think what you're you're doing by just bringing them in and just having that time with them uh, is, is huge. It's, it it makes a big difference in how the dogs end up. Yeah, I've seen a big difference in it when I change that. <laughs> and I I always tell people like I think that. And again, like commands are so important. I don't want people listening to this to think that commands aren't important. Well, absolutely. We have to have but, a way to tell the dogs what we're asking them to do. Right. But I think that you can have an extremely well-behaved dog without it knowing any commands if you live with it properly. And I think that that's, that's the part. So like when I first started learning dog training, I was taught by a very old school, um, I guess, compulsion-based trainer. And his his way of training was we just teach obedience right and there was no lifestyle to it and i saw a lot of dogs that he worked with were really really good when they were doing obedience right but not when they weren't and because he was only focusing on that and not like what the rest of the day looked like it was missing that and i think if you focus on what the rest of the day looks like primarily you 
you don't necessarily need a lot of the commands. Are should you teach them a hundred percent, right? And they're an important thing. And like dogs should know certain basic things. It's just going to make life easier for you and for the dog. But you can have a really well-behaved dog, and then just add those things in on top of it to perfect it. Yeah, and, and uh, that's uh, you're 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 exactly right. Uh, we get we get a lot of dogs that are you know uh, we're in Tennessee, so duck hunting is really big here. Um, uh, Arkansas. We get a lot of bird dogs, hunting dogs, uh, that are amazing hunters, but they come in the house, destroy stuff, pee on everything. And, and the belief is that you can't have this and this, right? but you absolutely can send them off to, to hunting training and let them learn to hunt. And then gosh, bring them in and we'll teach them how to be good. Dogs are very versatile. My working dogs are as good as house dogs as they were working dogs. They're in the house with us. They're not in pens outside. They're, they have to live and coexist with us. People come over, you know, they're all trained to, to bite and they're really good at it. But when people come over, they're just dogs. And so dogs can, can adapt really well to what you're asking them to do. And that's the whole idea of that switch that, that we talk about is like, whether it's going from being a working dog, like out in the field hunting or biting people to coming home and laying down and just being chill house dog, or it's like, going out to the park and running around and swimming and playing and playing fetch and then coming back home and relaxing. It's the same thing. It's like installing that on off switch where the dog knows like what mindset is appropriate for what situation. And I think that, that a lot of, I worked with one dog that was um, a hunting dog. So I'm in the city, so we don't have like, that's not the regular thing, but there was one that was that he, she would go to hunting and uh, upstate New York and then come back down here with, with the family. And that was the big thing that they were concerned of is like, if I teach the dog how to relax, is it going to still know how to hunt? And that's that's the missing thing is like, yeah, like you said, you could have both and you, they, you should have both. And dogs should know how to be crazy and they should know how to have fun. They should know how to be wild because most of us pet owners or dog owners love to see that side of our dogs, but that's not what most of the day is gonna look like. And you gotta have that balance that that on off essentially yeah i call my dutch shepherd um she's i think three now uh, but i call her the best worst dog i've ever had <laughs> like, she's amazing like i taught her um disc stuff went out from with some disc people and and uh it was a little more to it than i thought and they're like we need a teacher to do this it took like 20 minutes and she's like coming around me going leading out all this stuff um but you know i know her her hangups. And so there are no toys in the house, zero toys. Like when you come in the door, my house, like, I don't want that. You're not going to chew. Now, when she was a little puppy, she had things to chew on, you know, you have to keep her entertained. She's grown now. And this is how you act when you come inside. Right. Um, and, and you, and, but out in the fields, like bite work, detection work, uh, uh, running in the woods. Like she is as cuckoo crazy as any Dutch shepherd you will ever see. And people are like, Oh my gosh, what's wrong with your dog? And like she, you know, you want, had, right. Like she, she took some, you know, really amped up drugs before I brought her out. She's like um, drooling and just like, what is this thing? The eyes are popping out of her head. And then she comes in, you know, the training center or whatever and goes in the office and just lays down and goes to sleep. You know, yeah. like uh, past a certain point in the training center, no toys are left out. When you, she comes past this, this is where you turn off and she'll just lay there until I call her out to help me with a training session. These are the rules. Like yeah. my house, my rules, you can't act like that. The, when I when I saw it really strongly, so 
when I was when I was first learning about dog training, I went out to a guy in Jersey and did a bunch of bite work where I was basically just taking bites. And it was a lot of fun. I had a great time with it. But I was with a whole group of like students who were learning about dog training and stuff. And this the guy in charge was kind of like a ranch and he had like a bunch of dogs and a huge training setup with like blown out cars to practice all the different scenarios and all that. And we're sitting in a field and he's like, all right, I'm going to go get the dogs. And he opens the door and they all come running out. And like, in my mind, I'm expecting like these vicious dogs to come running out because they're bite dogs, right? So like, I've never been around it in real life. I've just watched videos of it. Right. I'm expecting these like vicious dogs to come running out. And like, they came running towards me and I like kind of took a step back. And he's like, they're not working now. They're just pets. Right. And this, the dog like lay down its back, getting belly rubs, playing. And two minutes later, like, it went into work mode. It saw the sleeve and it became the scariest dog. Like I would never want to get bit by the <laughs> right. dog. Right. And it, it was a very cool thing to experience at firsthand though, of really seeing that, that, that power of association and how much you really could teach a dog that on off these dogs were living in the house with little children, being a part of a family life. And then once they're out in the field and they're in that work mode, it's like you, you stay back. They're scary dogs. And they right. went from being the goofiest, on their back playing dogs to like you don't mess with this dog because he's scary and he was using his teeth in every way that he possibly could and it was a very cool thing to experience firsthand yeah and we we worked really hard on uh after the dogs did their bite stuff the decoy being able to touch them it was really important to me because they're going to be around so many people when we were working the chance of somebody coming around a corner walking up and touching the dogs is extremely high right and they're just dogs at that point um, and, and so on decoy work after bite work, like the, the decoy would be able to hang out with the dogs and pet the dogs, you know, it took a, a while to get there in the beginning, you know, probably for the first year, that was not the case. Every time they saw a person like, Hey, can I bite this person? But then after you, you know, you really work on it and, and uh, and the dog understands you, that's definitely that switch on and off. Yeah, that's cool. All right. We're going to wrap this up. It's been about an hour, including our technical difficulties. Yeah, so sorry about that. That's all right. So tell people how they can, where they can find you online, on social, how they can find you if they want to work with you. Where are you at? Uh, we're in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, Facebook, West Tennessee K9. Uh, Instagram, West Tennessee K9. And YouTube, West Tennessee K9 or Terry Harris. Either one, uh, you'll find me on that. Uh, we have your, YouTube channel, your YouTube channel is pretty nice. What's that? Your YouTube channel has a lot of great content. It's, it's getting there. It's probably... Yeah. It's probably the most efficient, but um, you know, YouTube has been the been the challenge um, as far as keeping the content up and and good content. There's so much good stuff on YouTube, like really good stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, but but we're pretty happy with it. Oh, and my website too. Thank you. My wife just reminded me because she's amazing. Um, is uh, wtnk9.com, um, and I have a lot of information on there and all the links to. Uh, all my social, everything, and I have a lot of how-to stuff actually just on the website so people can, you know, train their dogs just there. All right, awesome. Thank you, guys. So, and if anybody wants wants to find Terry's info, I'll post up the links in the comments once this is up. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. All right, Love thank you. All. you. Thank you, thank you, you Terry. This is a lot of fun. For everybody at home, stay safe, stay kind, be gentle to each other. Love you all. All right, thanks. See you later.